Hello and welcome to Cutting Frames, a animation podcast where four tech professionals learn about animation, talk about animation, talk about how it makes them feel, the, the sort of emotions that rise up in their heart place after watching animation, and also talk about the techniques and fundamental structure that an animation typically has therein. Uh, I'm going to cut up that little last bit, but I'm Ken. I'm Cooper. I'm Lachlan. I'm Sophie. And we are the Frame Gang. You heard it here first. Episode 3, staging. We declare ourselves as the Frame Gang. You should all be afraid. Watch out. Watch out, because each frame, we're behind it. So today's episode is about staging. Last week, we talked about anticipation, the second principle of animation. To review, anticipation is used to prepare the audience for what is about to take place. It can be as small as a change in expression or as large as an entire body movement. In this way, it allows the audience to describe what the character is doing so they can enjoy the way it is done. The surprise gag, for example, relies on anticipation as the audience expects or anticipates one thing to happen and then see another. This week, we're going to focus on staging, which is a very general principle. Though broad, its definition is pretty clear. It is the presentation of any idea so that it is completely and unmistakably clear. Staging allows the audience to understand an action, recognize a personality, see an expression, or even sense a mood. Staging is usually driven by an important part of the story. This means that an artist has to come up with an important part of the story that they want to convey to the audience so they can make sure that the animation is actually done in a way to support that. The best way to explain this is through concrete examples. Animators use certain techniques when setting up scenes such as When the animator wants you to focus on a character's facial expression, the animation might zoom into their face. If you want to convey chaos, maybe they'll have a bunch of moving animations, or they'll do it quickly and make cuts uh, to different characters' reactions within a scene. If they want to convey a spooky setting, they might have dark colors set at night, have an old abandoned house in the back, and add scary, ominous music as well. I mean, and staging actually isn't just for... Uh, scenes. Staging also can be used for characters as well. Uh, This includes characters' actions, emotions, postures, and more. For example, Minnie's actions and mannerisms are purposely staged, and they're a great example of this. Uh, Every scene, she appears to be very feminine in comparison to Mickey, and it's done on purpose. From the way she reacts to her environment to the way she does her actions, she is specifically staged to ensure that the correct emotions and personalities are used, um, while also touching on major points of the story. Uh, And animators do this on purpose, and they actually set up the staging ahead of time so that they can actually convey this correctly to the audience. Uh, The principle is not only used in animation, though, but is also in theater. Uh, For the most part, it actually started out in theater before it came to animation, and it was kind of mastered there first. Uh, It started from where the location on the stage of the actors to the posture, um, 
that staging helps to set up the correct message to the audience. Uh, in many cases in theater, it may seem weird that some characters tend to look toward the audience when speaking or making a gesture, uh, but that's actually part of the staging itself. Uh, instead of talking directly to their partner, if the actor doesn't look at the audience, the audience might lose the subtle scoff or eye roll or something like that or that really sets up the personality of the actor or the character, uh, as well as sets the scene and the emotion and understand how those characters react. And so it's very important in theater that you think about staging not only uh, where they are on stage, but also how their uh, posture is and where they're looking so that the audience knows what's going on. In animation, it actually works the same way. Uh, as the camera can be moved and the subject quickly changed within a scene, animations must be staged to ensure the audience actually sees what they're trying to convey and move the story along. Um, in, the, in the beginning, animators actually had a lot of issues staging characters because of the medium that they were using. Because characters were in black and white at the very beginning, it was actually hard to stage uh, an action except when the character was in silhouette. And so this limitation was actually a great realization in animation because it uh, made people think about it differently and made people think about how to show an action just in a silhouette instead of trying to do it through other means. Uh, animators could test the effectiveness of their silhouette by actually shading in the drawing to understand if the emotion or attitude was still shown despite uh, the shading in. This led to characters putting the silhouette uh, away from their body, extending their hands, making wide gestures uh, to stage the attitudes and emotions. So in summary, staging is the presentation of an idea, such as the audience having a clear and complete understanding of what's going to happen. Failure to do so makes the audience think, did I miss something that doesn't really seem like the personality of the character? or I don't ex kind of really understand what the character just did there. Staging requires constant planning, redrawing, and experimentation to ensure that the correct scene is set, the action is clear, and the story is correctly told. It seems like staging would have parallels in the real world as well. Yep, so uh, in the real world, uh, you would want to see... You're, what you're doing and what your partner's doing or the person you're having a conversation with, you would see that face to face. And so to you, the audience is your other uh, partner in a conversation or action or group or things like that. Okay. So let me know if this would be staging. So let's say I meet Sarah at a meetup about microdosing on shrooms and I want to bring her over to my apartment. <laughs> so... <laughs> I leave out, um, I put out a nice candle. I leave out a copy of The Economist and Milk and Honey. I even crack the spine so she thinks I read it. Um, would, that, would that be staging? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. That would be staging because you're uh, trying to let Sarah know a little bit more about yourself while also setting the mood so that she knows what to expect. But, mm -hmm. oh, yes. And so in that sense, uh, just like in real life with s setting a scene for your significant other or your very good friend, um, in theater, you'll set the scene by actually making the characters uh, show their expressions to the audience. So when they uh, when characters in theater talk to each other, they usually never actually face each other when they're making grand gestures or important emotions. They'll always face the audience to make sure that the audience can see these things so that 
that they can understand the character's personality, their responses, and kind of drive a little bit more of the story so that you know what's going on. Um, if the uh, directors or producers or the ones that were staging the environment didn't think through this, uh, the audience might lose a lot of that characterization. So, Cooper, we've talked about staging in things that are not animation, but but the audience is wondering, wait a minute, I listened to this this podcast because I wanted to uh, animation. Yeah, so in animation, it works the exact same way. Um, as the camera can be moved and the subject quickly changed within a scene, um, animations must be staged uh, and actually thought ahead of um before they actually do any of the drawings um, and the storyboarding to make sure the audience sees the correct animation explain the story. Uh, in addition, animators also had the same issues um, when staging, staging characters uh, because they were in black and white. Um, at the beginning of animation, uh, they would have black and white characters that would have uh, very defined features be certain colors. And because of that, it was very difficult to have them animate it in such a way so that they knew that these overlapping body parts uh, were conveying emotions and things like that. And so instead, they understood uh, it was hard to stage uh, in a character except in silhouette. So do you think um, there's almost like a, a language of gestures and animation that was kind of born from the fact that um, the silhouette, like the hands needed to be away from the body? Yo, absolutely. So uh, looking at Minnie Mouse's uh early gestures um you can see that a lot of uh, his expressions are away from his body so like a lot of large gestures and that really defined him early on as a character and his personality and so yeah you still see that today too with some other characters that do this so staging could be considered sort of a character consistency um metric as well like if you stage them you stage them in the same consistent way because they're that character they're going to maintain that consistency and it's part of the staging because it's what their character would do Absolutely. And so staging is important to make sure that the personality is maintained across whether it's a scene, um, a movie, or even like series and things like that. So staging is very important for that aspect. So I'm guessing this is more than just um, staging of characters as well. This is like scene composition and shot composition as well. Yep. And so much like you can have staging with one character, you can have staging within the backgrounds of a scene, multiple characters and things like that, much like in theater. Um, this is kind of just a, kind of a tangent, but do you think does staging have to do with why in animation characters are almost always wearing the same clothes? Yeah, so that is uh, part of it. That that goes into some of the characterization, but also allows the audience to be able to recognize the char- character and understand it so they don't have to go, wait, is that the ca- same character I saw before? Um, you don't have to worry about that. You would be, oh, I recognize that character. I know who that is. And then I can go focus on the story instead of having to identify that person character animation. That's Cooper's history corner. Um, we're done with Cooper's history corner. We're done with Cooper. <laughs> we're done with Cooper for oh, today. Thanks. Cooper yeah. will be leaving. We're living in the now. History, right, bye. History's yeah. in the past. Okay, That's see why you guys we then. all burn books. Wait, we're an animation podcast. Fuck books. Fuck books. Unless they're flip books, in which case it's the purest form of animation. Wait, no, but that's where I get all my information from. What are you guys talking about? Are you talking about like Fahrenheit 71 or whatever? 451. Come on, am I the only one who reads here? Oh my god. Fuck books. Yeah, fuck books. All I read are cartoon books with pictures. Of anime babes. They're still books. No, they're graphic novels. There's a difference. There's a subset of books? 
I don't know what you're talking about. I refuse to acknowledge it. Anyway, so uh, we saw some great examples of staging and some bad examples. So I just want to introduce... Hold on, I, I bumped into my mic. It's going to make some noise. So we saw some really good examples of staging prior to this, as well as some bad examples. Uh, so we have this new section in the podcast that we're going to call the Bad Example Corner. It's great. Um, we're going to workshop the name. Did, did you have something to add there? Okay. Okay, fine. Um, so I... Uh, I recently watched all of Gen Lock, which is a Rooster Teeth show uh, that Michael B. Jordan was an executive producer on. Uh, it has David Tennant, Maisie Williams, Dakota Fanny, Michael B. Jordan. Um, and it's an animation that is purely in 3D, like most of uh, Rooster Teeth's uh, portfolio. Uh, but it has probably the tightest animation and the tightest story of any of their shows. Um, and it really shines in action scenes because they really know how to do a good action scene, primarily because whoever's doing the chore uh, choreography really knows how to stage an action scene. Um, as the characters are moving, uh, the camera moves with them or they, it kind of pans out to show the full action of the scene rather than cutting very, very quickly as uh, directors are kind of want to do because it's what a lot of American cinematography does. I don't really understand why that staging, like why the camera angle and panning is, is related to staging. Can you explain that? Uh, so it's meant to convey the, the the scope of the battle in this context, as well as the full movements of the characters. And that helps to show what their full intent is. And uh, you actually get to see their reactions, yeah. too, because you can every time they get hit, you can see their like physical mm -hmm. anguish in their face when it switches from one character to the other i i think it's uh it's a it's like comparing uh western animation uh sorry not western animation western action movies and eastern action movies have their own um sort of uh sense of staging when it comes to fight scenes so in western uh movies a lot of the time when a guy punches like let's say let's say it's zach snyder's hit justice league which we all know was a great hit and we all loved it it certainly wasn't bad but whenever superman punches a baddie it always cuts to that baddie flying away you don't see the punch actually execute any sort of force you see the initial impact but you don't see the after effect in that shot you see it cut away to the actual impact being uh the the, the after effect of the impact from a different angle which um sort of removes the scope and uh the sense of urgency in that punch it, it sort of makes it so that the character who is reacting and flying away like it, he could have been hit by anything um but in eastern films i'm going to use jackie chan as an example because all the jackie chan action films uh that are like eastern produced have a sense of continuity in their fight scenes where the camera will follow the fight um you won't see these random cuts that will uh not actually show the impact they they have a full sense of scope of the of the fight uh and you know where each action is coming from and how each character reacts to an action being taken upon them um but that's just sort of like one thing i noted that uh it, it's a sense of staging but sophie you were going to say something earlier no i was just going to ask you why it was staging which you, you did yeah we okay that's okay i thought there was gonna be a follow-up um but I might also be wrong, so no. with any of that. 
No, uh, I remember those scenes uh, with Jackie Chan were meticulously planned um, because they wanted to show the entire fight scene end to end and allow them to understand the impact, actually show people getting hurt in real time and making sure that they staged it correctly so that it was actually realistic in real life, like for real life audiences. Yeah, and often they're done in one take. And if there is a cut, it's normally not very noticeable. It's done in such a way that it's not noticeable compared to like, yeah, Superman, where it's every like a cut on every single hit mm-hmm. or copious amounts of Steadicam. I guess this is where I'm kind of having like a gap in my understanding. Because when I think of staging, like when I look it up, in my memory palace, I kind of think of a setup for a scene. I don't actually think of staging being something that carries through a scene. I, I'm sorry. Uh, mem- memory palace? <laughs> Selfie, have you developed a memory palace in your mind box? <laughs> Topic for another day. Episode four. If you want to see Sophie's memory palace, uh, patron tier, <laughs> real, real good patrons. We'll get a VR experience. $7.34. Sense. Oh, okay. Is that low? It's low, but I mean, it's just a VR palace you can walk around in. It's that doesn't take a lot of effort to well, make what's it. What's in there? Uh, like a hundred digits of pie, <laughs> which we will list. <laughs> Sophie. All right. So let's 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 take a look. Uh, we get to my cottage. Uh, we turn left in the frying pan. There's the number three. Uh, I'm just kidding. I know this is like a pretty big tangent. This is like. Um, we're not really setting the stage for the episode. We can like maybe we can maybe cut this, but um, basically, there's like some guy who like he's like this international like memory champion for remembering like a thousand digits of pi. He basically wrote this book about how he did it, and what he does is he takes these places that he knows really well, and he imagines walking through them, and he stores the numbers in places that he can imagine. Then to recall them, he takes a stroll through his memory palace. So this is a common technique. I know, actually, know this too. This is a common technique for uh, memorizing cards and things like that. So people will actually have a competition to memorize decks of cards and their orders, um, and they will use this memory palace to go and understand how to place these cards in specific areas so they can easily recall them in the future but anyways that's tangent yeah i mean if you think about it it makes sense like humans evolved to navigate and remember spaces and so using using the same technique to remember arbitrary things that's uh makes sense can we bring this back to staging well well well, actually i've staged my home the way i staged it for sarah from the meetup with but with numbers of pi instead of instead of with books that make me sound smart i can't (laughs) God damn it. Um, but I, I mean, so if you really think about it, a memory palace is actually a type of staging, right? You're, you're trying to stage something that you know in a place that you know, because contextually to you, it makes sense. And contextually, it tells a story. So I, I actually, you know, shockingly can bring this back in that memory palaces are just a method of staging for information, but not for characters. But what makes Genlock so great? What make Genlock uh, in in these action scenes so great is that they take the Eastern approach to combat where they show most of the scope of the fight and they don't do those cuts. So you see all that continuing action um, and you get a sense of what the character is like through it. And they they actually have this continue through a lot of different types of scenes, not just fight scenes where the scenes are long and they don't cut very quickly. But you get a sense of the characters primarily. Um, another one is in uh, True Detective when they do the large scene in the first season with the helicopters flying over. They don't cut for a long period of time. Um, additionally, in uh, I think it's 12 Angry Men as well, the opening scene takes a large amount of time to cut away. And I believe it's in the orders of almost tens of minutes uh, before that happens. 
you, you know, uh, uh, actually, it just occurred to me when you were, you were talking about theater in the very beginning, it's primarily because all of this is derived off of theater as a performing art. And in theater, a scene is quite literally a continuous amount of time where you can't cut away. So you have all these characters coming in and out and they're within an element. They're within an environment where they need to um, convey their intent, convey their personality, but all in the context of this environment. So when you're actually creating the stage, quote unquote, you need to stage it in such a way that it makes sense for the characters to be doing what they're doing and give them purpose. So their costume, the setting on the stage, all of that contributes to the overall quote unquote staging, which then is derived and taken uh, in film and then in animation and damn, you were right in the beginning. Now I'm starting to think it. it's all coming full circle. Yeah. But L- Lachlan, you were saying something too. What was this? You, you, were, you were like posing your head, ready to go. Oh, I was just agreeing with the 12 Angry Men example. It's a real good example. Oh, okay. When I was watching it, when I was watching 12 Angry Men for the first time, I was like, wait a minute. Is this going to be all one shot, this entire movie? And then they cut at some point and I was like, okay. But it was about 15 minutes in. Um, but this is the bad example corner. And so you gave a really good example of a fight scene. We, I think the, hold on. Are we, are we switching from good to bad? No, you you started this example out with a, a, this is a bad example corner. You staged it. You staged it as a bad example. That was a good example. No, I, oh, I was going to say there's got to be a bad example corner. And then oh, I yes. forgot to finish my thought. Oh yes. We can move to a bad example for fighting. If you want to podcast listeners, I have to apologize. I didn't finish my thought, and so it definitely caused some ambiguity as to what we were talking about. I was talking about a good example. Um, what I really, when I mentioned the bad example corner, I thought that was going to be a separate thing at the very end. But you know what? I think we're going to let this evolve organically, and we're going to give good example, bad example, good example, bad example. No, let's just ha- let's just wing it, Ken. Don't don't oh. try to force it. So another great example of staging. Um, so we all love Adam Sandler. And we all love Gendy Tartofsky. So when they make a film and Sony signs off on it and says, Gendy Tartofsky, you can do whatever you want. We get Hotel Transylvania 3. Now, it might not be an Oscar winner, but by God, it is a great example of animation. Um, and they have a really great scene where staging is front and center. And it is a scene uh, where Drac is getting ready to try to woo the ship's captain. Um, no spoilers here. It's quite literally the premise of the movie. Um, so he's sprucing himself up. He has his Hawaiian shirt on. He has his short shorts on and he starts to dance and get ready and get in the mood. And the camera follows him as he walks out of his, uh, cabin and starts, uh, walking towards where he imagines the captain to be going through the various parts of the ship. And you understand where he is on the ship at all points of time what his mood is, how his mood affects others, because Blobby, everybody's favorite gelatinous ooze, joins him in dancing. Uh, And you can tell that he is in command uh, to an extent. You can tell that he is the main focus in that his actions will have reactions or the actions of others may impact him. But due to his actions, they're not going to because they, they frame it in such a way that you know that he is not in danger at any point. Even though there is danger posed to him, does anybody else have anything to add to this? Or I mean, I guess kind of one thing that I mean, like there's a bunch of threats against Drac. There's like the the flare gun. There's the boat falling. Um, but um, it's kind of you know he he avoids the obstacle and Blobby is hit. And once that happens two times, you're like, next time there's an obstacle, you're like, it's gonna hit Blobby. <laughs> 
yeah, uh, because they, they stage it in such a way that you know what the the action and reaction is going to be, which is that Blobby is now the new whipping boy. Yeah, based on the anticipation of it. Yeah. Um, and Blobby also squashes and stretches. Throwback. <laughs> it's two throwbacks in a row. Throwback. <laughs> We're on a fucking roll right now. Um, but in general, Hotel Transylvania actually, um, you know, it may seem kind of like a dumb series but it actually has probably one of the most solid set of uh animators that i've i've seen because every scene is a delight to watch and every scene has a lot going on without it being too much and for those who yeah those who don't know Genny tartakovsky was uh was the the main dude behind such hits as dexter's lab and samurai jack and powerpuff girls and by God, he's really good at he's it. Got a bit of a pedigree. Uh, Biotic Titan, I think, also was one of his that like was canceled early. And so, like, he, the dude knows how knows how to write a story, make a compelling cartoon, and hire a, like a fucking great cast and crew. Um, because damn, every one of his productions is great. This is no exception. Uh, but the animation principle, particularly when you consider staging in this scene where Drac is going onto the ship to woo this lady, Captain. Mm, it's a spicy meatball. Oh, I enjoy it so much. Oh, jeez. Oh, God. If only every scene was like this in every movie. Oh, the world would be a better place. This isn't your mixtape, Ken. You're not this is to- my mixtape. Hi, I'm Ken. Is there such thing as too much staging? Actually, yes. And so, uh, is this the bad staging corner? We can we can go to the bad staging corner if I you don't, want. Don't take me there again. It's the bad staging corner. Nobody puts staging in a corner. Well, we're gonna. Sometimes you do. If it's been bad, particularly when it's bad. So. For listeners, uh, this is a new section where we take bad examples of uh, animation principles, the animation principle that the episode is focused on, and we put it front and center to show you um, sort of the opposite end of the spectrum, because typically we focus on the good, but you also need to focus on the bad to understand what is bad and what is good. Uh, So bad staging corner. First, we're going to talk about a little gem. Um, so Cooper brought us a great example of bad staging. And, it, you know, I love the series, but I also understand why it's bad staging. Cooper, please, I can't say it. No, uh, one of the really bad examples is uh, in a fight scene is the one in Super uh, Dragon Ball Z Super. In <laughs> Excuse which, me, hold on. I need yeah. to interrupt. It's Dragon Ball Super? Oh, yeah, no. I, it's I, not I, Dragon Ball Z That's Super. how much I care about this series because of how oh, bad it is. I'm those are fighting words and I know it, but this is a fighting scene. This is a fighting scene. Yes. Thank you, Sophie. <laughs> That's the correct staging. But it was just in comparison, very bad because it would use the same frame for animations and just have it uh, move closer to the audience. Uh, it's absolutely horrible, both in staging and as a series. <laughs> yes. But unfortunately, we talked about a really good example of a fight scene. Dragon Ball Super does the complete opposite and has a really bad example of a fight scene. It uses the same frames and just focuses and zooms in on a specific character. It cuts at weird times. It gives no continuity around things. It feels sporadic and it just doesn't feel uh, genuine. It doesn't feel like uh, 
there's strength behind punches. It doesn't feel like there's strength behind characters, personalities. It just feels forced. There's actually examples of how the old Dragon Ball Z compared to this one is so much better in terms of how it stages both its personalities, characters, as well as its fight scenes to make it the good series that it was. Um, Sophie, what did you think about this? And Lachlan, um, both of you have been pretty quiet. Um, one thing that was kind of, I mean, it could just be because we didn't watch the rest of the episode. But one thing that was like confusing was I, I wasn't really aware of like what the power balance between them was. Like, I didn't really know how powerful the cat was. Like, sometimes he just let himself get hit. Sometimes he would like hover above water. Sometimes he would like make a hole in the ocean. Like, I, I wasn't really kind of aware what the, um, like the parameters of the fight were. And maybe that's just where we jumped in. But um, definitely there is, we're missing some staging for me, I think. I think it's good to compare it being being on a, a cruise ship in the ocean. The uh, the Hotel Transylvania scene was also on a cruise ship in the ocean. But oh. the difference there is that in the Dragon Ball Super Z scene, you it was very hard to tell where the characters were at any one time and they were bouncing around all over the place. But the way um, the Hotel Transylvania scene was directed, it was very obvious to see like where the characters were at any one time. And that's uh, it's a hard thing to do because a lot of parts of the cruise ship look very similar. Yeah. I think maybe like having landmarks in the frames and like making sure those landmarks are um, often in like in the frame. Um, maybe it's a way to keep kind of uh, consistency. Uh, you know, it's actually kind of funny. Uh, I now have a dream dream team composition where Gendy Tartofsky travels to Japan and uh, and directs an episode of Dragon Ball where uh, it's just mm. Well, I guess it'd be Studio Trigger at that point. We can make it happen. With enough money, we can make it happen. Listeners, if we get to 10,000 patrons, we will personally go to Gandhi Tartofsky's door and uh, raise our boombox over our head to swoon him him to go to Japan. And then we will do the same in Japan um, at Toei's office and we will swoon them as well. Um, I may have to do many sexual favors to get it done, but for my dear patrons, I will get it done. Is it a sexual favor if you want to do it? We don't have to get into the details of that. If you want to see more and more sexual favors, there's higher and higher tiers that we can introduce. (laughs) Um, Yeah, our uh, After Hours episodes will be available to our um, noir um, subscribers. And it doesn't have to be limited to Gendy. There's many, many many good animators out there, animators, Mm -hmm. directors. This is the point where we list them all off, but... There's more bad examples to go through. Who's the sexiest animator that you know? Well, I mean, I, I just told you, Gendy Tartofsky. It's <laughs> please, please don't test me. As in, um, Gendy Tartofsky. Uh, wait, no, that's not. Mm, another bad example. <laughs> So we're going to go through another bad example. Uh, So bad example number two for the day um, is, I think, intentionally a bad example. Uh, So it may require you to use your memory boxes and rewind back to 2012. But there was a very, very well-known thing back then called the Harlem Shake. Now, the Harlem Shake, uh, I know we all hated it. It appeared, it disappeared, but everybody did it. I think some people listening might not have been alive when the Harlem Shake happened. Yeah. um, For all you six-year-olds at home, please go onto YouTube and look up Harlem Shake. And don't judge us because times were simpler back then. Um, We didn't understand 
a lot of things about society. We didn't understand Twitter yet. We didn't understand uh, vines. We didn't understand the power that vines had. Were vines a thing back then? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I think it was. It was around the vine time. I think. Anyway, so uh, the Simpsons decided to get onto this craze. The Simpsons were like, "Hey, you know what? Let's make an opening where it's the Harlem Shake." So uh, it starts off, and it starts off slow. Maggie starts to dance, and the whole family starts to dance, and then it zooms out, and like the entire cast and crew of the Simpsons is there. Like almost every notable character that has a like commonly reoccurring role is dancing, but they're all dancing in different ways in different places that make it a real clusterfuck of a Harlem shake and all at different beats and different uh, patterns that just make it a real nightmare to watch. It's kind of like uh, watching uh, a set of explosions on the screen where you don't know where any of the explosions are coming from primarily because you're just, it's, it's just too much visual input. So it's an example of bad staging, but I think purposely so because they have all these different characters, like I said, doing different dances at different pattern, uh, different beats uh, with different rhythms and they're overlapping each other. And they are preventing you from understanding anything as to where they're actually positioned. In fact, I don't think they could even fit in that space. It looked as though they had just copy and pasted a bunch of dances and pasted them in. Um, That's a good point that it didn't really make sense in 3D space. And it kind of like broke, you know, when you when you see like a 2D animation, you still kind of imagine the characters in 3D. But this kind of made it so it wouldn't really even make sense for them to all be there in 3D. So like it was definitely into purposeful, like, like the animators couldn't have been like, yeah, you know, this looks real good. I'm I am a hundred percent positive that the Simpsons animators were like, Yeah, let's make this a real clusterfuck to show how terrible it, it looks like they might have just used like test loops for a lot of the characters as well. Yeah. They're just like, Oh, this is what we have on hand for Krusty. And they had like it's... weird like outlines too that indicated yeah. that they were not they were not meant to be in that frame. Yeah. <laughs> like they might have taken old footage and then cut it out. Mm. Oh, it was it was real bad. So uh for all the examples that we gave today, by the way, uh, they will be up on our webpage for this episode. Uh, we will be tweeting them. We'll be putting them on our Facebook. We'll be getting them tattooed on our bodies. Um, each URL for YouTube. So YouTube, remember, you should sponsor us because we will literally be having links to you on our bodies. Think of the ad space there. It's huge. We're going to get Monster Energy tattoos, too. Just so call me so fat, Ken. Uh... Yeah. yeah you, you have more rooms for URLs than, than other people that I know. Oh, well, thanks, Sophie. <laughs> well, dear listeners, it's that time again. The sun is getting low. I'm getting tired. Cooper has a place to go. And we are out of things to talk about. So the next episode is actually going to be us lumping a few of these animation principles together. Uh, so we'll be lumping together straight ahead action and pose to pose as well as follow-through and overlapping action. And those two principles of animations will be what our next episode is on. So look forward to episode four. Double feature. The d- Yes, the double feature or uh, the, the double flip book. Can you, play, uh, can you play closing time after this episode? Uh, I think that we don't have the rights to it, but we'll we'll have Lachlan create like a composite knockoff. Oh, for, like, a, like a chip tune. Like a chip tune knockoff. Uh, I'm going to call it... Time to get out of here. <laughs> okay, well, thank you all for listening. Enjoy the sweet, sweetie tunes of time to get out of here. Bye.
The Frame Gang says... Fuck books. Bye. Oh, oh man. Uh, anyway, thanks for listening. I'm Ken. I'm Ben. I'm Lachlan. I'm Cooper. Closing time. You have been listening to the podcast known as Cutting Frames. Closing time. Hoped you liked the episode and shared it with all of your friends.